Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. Are you laughing at me already? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. You haven't even started yet. I can't help it. You are one of the most funny people I know in my life. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith. That's very nice of joy. you. You are the light of my life and you bring me joy. But what the heck are we talking about today, Kathy? I have another bone to pick. Now, you and I talked about recording this episode and did a very poor job of planning it. And we were like, you know what? Let's just talk and see where it goes. So this episode may actually get published. It may not. So get excited. Let's see what happens. We are going to talk about something that has been on my mind because college admission decisions just came out. And of course, colleges are getting more selective. And, you know, the Uber rarefied air Ivy League plus schools that have single digit admission rates are getting, you know, it's like just it's shrinking smaller and smaller. And every time I talk to a kid who's like, I'm really hoping to go to one of those colleges, what I want to mm-hmm. say to them is you're not getting into one of those colleges. So what else is your life about? <laughs> like what else brings you joy in your life and gives you purpose besides trying to get into one of these super duper selective colleges? Because when we're talking about a college with a 3% admit rate, and you think about all of the kids they have to admit for athletic recruits because they're development cases, because of whatever, like the spaces for just like a normal kid off the street, there's like 1%. It's like, mm-hmm. which is like 0%. I hate to break it. I mean, do you see I'm worked up because I want to tell parents like, uh, really don't put your eggs in that basket. It's such a bad basket to try to be in. It's just like a recipe for disappointment. And I want to tell kids that too. And I kind of have been, honestly. I've been. Well, yeah. Do you think that's wrong? I've been telling kids recently. I'm like, dude. Do I think it's wrong to tell the truth? (laughs) I feel bad because I don't want to crush their dreams. But I'm also like, bro, like why? Well, if really, why one's dreams and wellness in life is purely dependent upon attending a school that has a sub 5% admit rate, me thinks we have some other things to talk about. Thank you, Meredith. This is why we're friends. You're so affirming. Yes, exactly. That's true. That's true. Oh, I think you're exactly right. And this is my problem, right? Like, I'm like, come on, people, let's do better. So, well, I don't think it's just that I'm affirming. I don't think it's me. And I think that's something I want to always kind of amplify in our episodes because you and I happen to be very philosophically aligned on a lot of educational issues I can imagine a listener hearing it and, you know, it's like me listening to MSNBC. Like I'm going to hear a lot of things that I like probably, Yeah, (laughs) but it can also be easy to dismiss what we're saying as just sort of an ideological orientation. And actually, while I do believe that's true, that ideology and belief stems from real reliable and valid data 
both research-based data and experiential data that you and I have collected over a combined many decades of watching the college process play out for young people, watching the college admission landscape change dramatically Mm -hmm. in the time that we've been in the game, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know, it's not just that we believe, but we also know that schools with these insanely difficult, insanely low, and I don't use insane lightly, they're really just, it's just silly. Admit rates, it means that the vast majority, nearly every applicant, not just most, nearly every applicant will be denied. It means that. That's what it Mm -hmm. means. And I think that reality is really hard for some students, some parents to grasp because you can't help but be myopic when you're looking at your own child. Sorry, parents, but as much as you probably imagine you're objective, you're probably not. You're definitely not objective and you have a very small sample size. Real small. And you also don't, you know, you look at your child and you know all of the wonderful things that they've done and they've taken the hardest classes and they've gotten straight A's and they have a 1550 on the SAT and they're the leader of this and they're the president of that. And it's like, yeah, that is a dime a dozen in, that is not special in certain applicant pools. It is special for your child. It is probably, I hope, been a set of meaningful experiences for your child and that that pursuit of meaning in high school is why they did the things in the first place. Because if they're doing them only because they believe it distinguishes them in the applicant pool for highly selective colleges, how does that end, Kathy? Well, not well, my friends. And what I would like to remind folks of, because I am the age, you're a few years younger, but I am the age of many of our parents who have high school seniors and Several of my girlfriends have kids who are in the college application pool. And one of the things that is a major mismatch is that we are still looking at the college application process from our perspective from when we applied 30 years ago. And I'll tell you, 30 years ago, Harvard's admission rate was about 20%. Okay? Just for perspective's sake, USC's admission rate this year is 11%. Okay, so if you thought you were hot shit because you got into Stanford or Harvard 30 years ago and your kid is like doing way more and going above and beyond, well, that doesn't mean anything, unfortunately. You know what's weird, though, Kathy? I have observed this phenomenon, and I'm curious if you have too, where I am starting to hear more that parents understand that things have changed and it's so highly competitive. And to me, when they start that conversation, I'm like, great, now we're about to have a really comprehensive, holistic, balanced conversation about list building. But oh, no, 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 no. Then the next sort of the second, the proverbial sort of second clause of that narrative is so, Meredith, the way we're going to strategically address that is by applying to more of those places. Yeah. I had a kid the other day say to me, well, if I put five Ivy Leagues, then I have a 25% chance of getting into. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that alone should just, that awareness of math Math. alone should disqualify (laughs) you from. That's not how percentages work. (laughs) It's like, that's not how that works, sweetheart. (laughs) So, I know, oh dear is right. I'm like, what? (laughs) Did I say what? No, no, no. 
I want to talk about this mindset that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And we have to start shifting the narrative around this. We have to start shifting the culture. You and I are on our soapbox and plenty of other of our peers and colleagues who are doing this work are on the soapbox as well. Mm -hmm. We don't Mm -hmm. seem to be getting a lot of traction, but I do think that it doesn't mean we should stop talking about it or bang the gong. Because like, you know, I want families to be really thoughtful about how they have these conversations with their kids starting from a really young age and modeling that for your kids, right? If you have the conversation at home where your entire happiness, well-being, And purpose in life is wrapped up around how much money you make and how great of a job you can get. And the natural progression of that logic is, well, in order to get that great job and make that money is, then that means I have to go to a great college. Because obviously, if I can have this college's name, I had a kid who just said this to me the other day. She's like, well, obviously, if you have, you know, Stanford on your resume, but, and then somebody who goes to like UC Irvine, (laughs) like you're obviously going to hire the kid who goes to Stanford. I was like, no, I don't think that's obvious at all. And that's problematic that you've simplified your success. You've distilled it down to these three steps. And that's ridiculous (laughs) to me. And that's the thing that's problematic. I'm like, why aren't parents talking to their kids about more things than just where you get into college? Like you get into good college by making lots of money. And there's actually research, Rick Weisbord from Making Caring Common, right? He did this survey with parents. He's done tons of research around this. And what they find in the research is that the number one most important thing to parents is that their kids are kind. And when you ask parents, like, what's the most important thing to you for your kid? Like, right. And they're like, that they're kind. And when you survey kids, they say, that I'm successful, right? That I get good grades. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's a disconnect there. Where's that coming having, from? Right. Like, where's that? Why aren't we having these conversations? Why is the focus so much around achievement? And it it leads to this oversimplified logic belief that if I do A, then B will happen and then C will happen and then I will be a happy person and everything is going to be okay in life. Yeah. It's an interesting syllogism. Oh, girl, and- you busting out the big words today. Well. <laughs> Syllogism. I mean, it's a form of reasoning, right? And I maybe someone can tell me if I'm misusing, if I'm misremembering the word syllogism, but it's a form of reasoning that on the surface, I think I can understand why people believe it. But I think the point you're making is that that is too simple. I mean, sorry, friends, it just is. That a well-lived life and how we define that varies, but let's pretend that it has something to do with like one's ability to, you know, pay their bills, keep a roof over their head, derive, not worry about food, things like that. That that is inexorably linked and solely dependent on attending a college that admits less than 8% of the students who apply is nonsense. The vast majority... Yeah, it's just nonsense. And the vast majority of humans who live on this planet, one, you know, who live rich and meaningful lives, do not necessarily have access to post-secondary education in the way that many 
some Americans do, you know, like we just, I think it's very narrow and it's that there's a psychological term for this that I can't remember, but it's sort of this phenomena. I think that happens and is born out of environment, right? So if you're only traveling in a certain kind of environment where everyone around you is successful as defined by some sort of simplistic set of parameters. Oh, they went to this kind of school. They have this kind of job. They make this amount of money. Then it's too easy to like, not remember that like billions of people on the planet aren't that and are fine or, or, you know, and in, in America in particular, you know, it's interesting. We're very unique from a lot of other countries in that we have a college going culture that is more available to a wider swath of people than a lot of other countries, a lot of other developed countries. It's, you know, if you look at the UK, if you look at places in Asia, if you look at, I don't really know much about Eastern European colleges, but there's a whole universe of folks who never pursue college and who pursue other things like trades, et cetera, and are fine. And the way that college is thought of is just fundamentally very different than here in the States. So I just think for parents who are listening, for kids who are listening, I don't want this to come across as judgmental, but you've got to be more rigorous in your thinking. Like you need to be more rigorous. Like that is not critical thinking to believe that is judgmental, huh? <laughs> We're always judgmental. I mean, like, don't oh. stop now. <laughs> you know what though? In therapy, I was given a very excellent verbal distinction between the difference between being judgmental and using discernment. And so I would say use some discernment people. And if this were a neutral, this also isn't neutral. Like this mindset, if you have this mindset that like my kid can only be successful if they go to like Wharton and if Wharton doesn't work out, then well, we can only accept, you know, watch you. If that's really your posture, like that's not neutral. That is going to come with a whole bunch of cost to you as a family and to your child's well-being. Like you and I know this, we see it all the time. And I wish there was a way for people to believe us. <laughs> well, I think that's I why we listen to everything we say. Why do we like, why do we keep getting on this soapbox over and over again? We do it because we see the impact it has on young people and it's bad, right? It just sucks their joy away, their meaning. They don't seek it because they're seeking this brass ring, right? And they're not developing self-awareness. They're not self-actualizing. (laughs) <laughs> I thought of yes. a thing that made me mad. Okay, tell me. <laughs> That's related. Okay. So a thing I don't, I hear not infrequently from families, from parents and from kids when they are seniors and they don't get the news that they want is some version of like, why did I work so hard? Yes. If I didn't, you know, why did I do all of this? Why did, and I want to be like, why? So if you want to avoid that, like I can't stand that. That's not that I can't stand it. I get it. But it pains me when I hear that question because what that tells me is that this child or this parent believed on some level that it wasn't about pursuing meaning and purpose and learning about yourself as a young adult and learning about what you like and making mistakes and learning how to recover from them, that it wasn't actually about growth in adolescence. It was about making moves exclusively for the college process. Now, I'm not dumb. We're not naive. Like, yes, we are college counselors. There are going to be things that we tell clients 
to do that we know position them more competitively for the college admission process. But that is never the sole reason to do something. And it's just, this, it's like makes me sad for, it's kind of like that, you know, like kids don't play anymore. You know, they're like, it's sort of like adolescents don't get to discover what adolescence is all about because they're sort of being funneled into these well-worn grooves of activities or class selection that are tired, frankly. Like, I think that they're common. They're not distinguishing. And they're robotic. It's like such well, a robotic thing. Well, it was funny. So Susie and I were talking yesterday. Susie's another one of our coaches at Village. And she was like, you know, it's like kids. Were you on the call? We were talking about BC Calc or talking about AP Calc. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you were on the call. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's good perspective to have because it's like, when you have a kid that you're like, oh, my kid is super special. They're in BC Calc already and they're a junior, you know, and from an admissions perspective, especially when you're working at these like really highly selective colleges, you're like, that's that ain't ordinary. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like smart kids are doing that. Yeah. But then how do you. OK, so I'm imagining then, Kathy, a parent listening to what you just said and responding to it with like. Rather than the way we would want, they're responding to it like, well, I better get make sure that my kid is in BC Calc as a sophomore. Some parents will respond like that, undoubtedly. Why would that be, oh, I don't know, ill-advised? Well, does your kid want to be in BC Calc? Do they like math? Are they capable of doing the work? I mean, there's just so many- Doesn't matter. They have to do this in order to get into Chicago. And if they don't get into Chicago, they're not going to be successful because they want to you know, become a doctor and they won't get placed for med school. And then they won't get a good residency. That's and then they'll be living all, in my basement. That's nonsense. And if you want to be a doctor, honestly, you should not even be in the US system. You should go to the UK because you could just start medical school right <laughs> out of high school. I was like, Seriously. dude, medical degree in three years, nice. Like save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was like, why isn't everybody in the US doing that, by the way? I that's because our system much. is so different. Most places don't have what like the sort of undergraduate yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That- so this has. is a, a fun note. If you have a kid who really knows they want to be a lawyer or a doctor, like go to college abroad and they can get that badass degree in like three years, plus a little extra study that they can get a bar or study for their, you know, their specialty medical license, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They can do all of that stuff and save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Anyway, let's go, Kathy. New career. Just, I, <laughs> right. I told Aiden, I was like, you, we could just go to the UK. You could study veterinary school, get a veterinary degree in three years. It'd be great. His dad's a vet. By the way, folks, I'm talking about my boyfriend. <laughs> His dad's a vet. And I'm like, if computer engineering doesn't work out for you, veterinary medicine. Because you know AI is taking vet over. Vet school in the UK. <laughs> I mean, he is worried. I was like, AI is taking over. You may not have a job in a few years. So you could fall back on being a vet. Anyways, that's a non sequitur. The point <laughs> being... That it's ultimately like the arms race is so detrimental to the overall development and well-being of young people, right? That's not to say there aren't kids who are genuinely having the time of their life (laughs) being badasses and like taking the hardest classes and doing all the things. I have students like that who are working hard and playing hard. Like they've got the balance down. They're sleeping. Yeah. 
They can do all the hard classes. They can do all of, they can join, they can go to parties. (laughs) They can do their summer stuff. They can do independent projects. Like they're on it, right? But forcing your kid into that very narrow definition of success. I wish people could see your hand gestures right now. (laughs) She's she's (laughs) exhibiting force. I'm exhibiting force. That is just, oh, it's so detrimental to kids. And when ultimately, and this is very likely to happen, and if you are working with anybody who tells you differently, okay, ICs need to cut it out too, because you're not helping the narrative by being like, well, we have the secret for getting kids into blah, blah, blah. Shut the F up. You don't have a secret. The secret is be fucking really smart and really mature. Okay? That's secret. Well, the other secret is not everybody is equal in equal ways. So Kathy and I, before this call, we're talking, we were trying to remember if we had done a certain kind of episode. And I said, I don't think we've done that. And then I said, but we all know we shouldn't trust my memory. And Kathy's like, yeah, no offense, but I don't trust anything you do or do not remember. And she is right because I have a terrible memory and hers is much better than mine. That doesn't mean I don't think I'm smart, right? Like every person is different and has different talents and different gifts. And I think the other dangerous piece here is that we're sort of celebrating as better than people who like do BC calculus as a sophomore or junior. Like if you're rocking whatever trig as a senior, that doesn't mean somehow you're not intelligent and we need to get away from that because that, you know, secondary education has become Sadly, I think, I mean, I have a lot of critiques of secondary education in this country. And, the and higher sort of, education. Yeah. Well, I have, All the education. Yeah. All the education. I mean, sometimes yes. in K-8, you can still f- have like, you know, joy of learning. And it, some of this is influenced by where you and I live and the kinds of schools where, you know, our clients attend, et cetera. Anyway, but like, accept your child for who your child is celebrate their gifts and their talents and encourage them to develop curiosity about things that they are bad at. Do not make it the case that like we can only derive enjoyment from things that we're good at or excellent at. Like I went to a pottery class about a year and a half ago and I sucked, but I had a good old time. That is joy. And the difference between healthy self-concept, sort of an intrinsic sense of worthiness, is that that is innate, it is lasting, and it is not reliant on achievement. Achievement sometimes gives us self-esteem, which to me is more like a drug. It gives you a short-term high, but then eventually that wears off and you need to go chase the next thing. And you wake up and you blink and you're like, what the hell have I been doing for the last, you know, 10 years? Right. I've been hitting all of these benchmarks. Hedonic. I talked to my kids about hedonic adaptation. I was like, listen. Yes. I was like, you're going to do the thing. And then you're going to be like, well, what's the big deal? And then you want to do something else. And then you get there and you're like, oh, wow. What's the big deal? It's like you save up to buy this thing you really want and you get it. And you're like, you forget about it a year later. You're like, okay, whatever. It's not that cool anymore. Right. And it's just a horrible cycle to get on and. You know, I don't know about you, but I know plenty of middle-aged folks who are successful, who are not that happy or feel a lot of purpose or meaning in their lives. And it has nothing to do with how much money they have or how much success they've had in their lives, right? 
And I wish we would show more models of that. When I was doing assembly at Menlo, I was like, can we just like highlight like every alum that we brought to talk to our school was like, oh, this is the guy who created GoPro with a, you know, $50,000 loan from his family. I'm like, you better shut. <laughs> Well, you get the hell all, out of here. The first second of part all. of that sentence. Exactly. I was like, okay, I am already not impressed with you. And what was part of his presentation? Sorry if anybody's listening who knows this guy. But it was like, oh, yeah. And, you know, I got a, a 50, whatever is like $100,000 from my family and I started this business. And I'm like, bro, give me $100,000. Let me show you what I can do. <laughs> like, anyways, I was like, okay, not impressed with you. But like, you know, we keep highlighting these types of successes, right? Whereas like, I am way more impressed with somebody who's really had struggle and challenge and demonstrates resilience. Like, I was like, can we show more stories of that? Can we bring more of those students, more of those alums to highlight as the model of success, right? Who are doing things that are meaningful and purposeful, who that are successful, but not you know, hedge fund billionaires, <laughs> like, can we highlight those people? Well, I mean, values, right? It's all as per usual. It all comes down to values. It all comes down to values. And yeah. how are you talking about them? Yes. And how do your values influence your decision making in everything, in what you do in your spare time, in how you speak to your children, in what consequences look like or don't look like? I mean, Yes, it's girl. all about values. Yes, girl. I mean, that is the takeaway. And it's the thing that Meredith and I will say over and over and over again. So earlier I was referring to Rick Weisbord and his Making Caring Common initiative at Harvard. So the different, why do kids only think their parents care about their academic success? It's because you're not having the conversation about the values at home, right? So much of the focus is put on achievement. So in order to switch that, you've got to talk about values. You've got to talk about character. You've got to talk about integrity. Or it could be the case that like you aren't actually that family that is demonstrably pushing achievement. But you happen to be two, you know, successful people, right? And you're just living your sort of successful lives. You got a promotion, your kids see you like go to work. They see a lot of people who need you for things or like they learned that you just became like the new whatever of a new company, right? I think about my own experience growing up with two really smart parents, you know, both of my parents, my mom is a veterinarian, my dad is a scientist, like just, you know, it was like, and they were so cool. They never put pressure on me. They always were about like effort. They were mad at me if I didn't try and I had to read a lot. It's true. But I internalized their kind of success. I was fortunate in the sense that, and I sort of do give credit to sort of my parochial upbringing, that there was a lot of conversation about values in my house. And there was a lot of like, what do we do for other people? And, you know, because it's very like Catholic. And my mom is Jewish. So it's also very Jewish. So values were like a part of the dialogue. But even when you're not like that parent and you're like, oh, I don't put pressure on my kid and I don't do this. If they just see your lifestyle, if you're driving around in your Tesla, like kids internalize that stuff. If you're going to like a fancy dinner, fancy you vacation, should, you should fancy yeah. vacations and you should just, you know, and there is nothing wrong with that. You work hard. You should enjoy the fruits of your labor. That, that's not what Kathy and I are saying. 
Kathy and I go on fancy romantic vacations together all the time. But know that that probably puts, if you're the kind of parent listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't want to do what Meredith and Kathy are saying. Like, I want to be the kind of parent that like helps my kid have an intrinsic sense of worthiness, regardless of where they go to college. Then you need to sort of overcompensate to some degree by making more visible and amplifying values as a antidote to the capitalistic excess that is everywhere. Yeah. And privilege, right? Like have those conversations. They really matter. And like, just know that kids are such little spongy people. Like they will just absorb that. They're going to hear you talk about your vacations. They're going to hear you talk about where you're going. Like they're going to absorb all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want to poo poo because it's so many of our families and you in don't? some ways, it's Are how, sure? well, I don't, I, I don't want to poo-poo luxury vacations. Let's be clear. <laughs> well, let's be clear because. <laughs> let's be clear about what I'm not poo-pooing. You and I are not. <laughs> I'm not like poo-pooing luxury because you and I love some luxury. Like, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not poo-pooing lifestyle because, listen, if I had the means, my kids would be living fat. I promise you that. There's no doubt in my mind, right? Like, if I had that kind of cash, like we would be going. And then I'd be coming over and being like, let me tell you, <laughs> Auntie Mare is going to help you. Yeah. We're going to exactly. go do some volunteer work now. Like, exactly. Auntie Mare is going to help you. <laughs> she, your mom can't help herself. We're going to go now. So I'm just saying, like, I'm not poo pooing that kind of lifestyle. What I'm saying is that it actually, if that is the world that you live in, it is to counteract that, is actually to expose your kids to more worlds. Right. Like that's a yes. great way to counteract it yes. is actually to expose them to more than that and not yes. not normalize it so much that it's like this is the only way that people live. And especially, you know, at the prep schools that you and I worked at, like the families who are like doctors and lawyers, they're like, we're the poor families here. Right. Like we just we have jobs. <laughs> right. Like I have we didn't retire early. Yeah, exactly. Like we weren't all about the fire lifestyle. No, like we just have the small house in Atherton. <laughs> like, You know what I mean? It's like, it's ridiculous. And so helping your kids see like the world doesn't really, like most of the world doesn't operate this way. is really helpful, right? And to just expose them to different ways of being. Well, I also think, let's not like, I know we need to wrap up. But I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about a former student who I worked with many years ago. She's one of those kids that just stands out in my mind because she just kicked ass. And I want you to, I just, I want to say this because- I don't know how to say it nicely. I don't know. I'll just say it. Like, while you're doing all of this pushing of your kid and, you know, if you're a parent who's like really controlling a lot of this, you know, like you're like, you need to do this and sign up for that and da 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 Know that there are some kids out there who have none of the means that you have who are hustling and lapping your child. Oh, yes. In their work ethic and their ability to make things happen for themselves, and their ability to overcome adversity, who have been dealt real shit in life, who are fucking killing it. Like, and I can think of a lot of those kids. And Me too. I'm way, I'm more impressed. You know I'm what I'm sorry. saying? Like, yeah. those kids are, like, I have worked with homeless students before. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Who have kids then the gone on. System. Yep. Who have then gone on into, like, the most, like, don't even come to me with like problem. I'm like, you got a roof over your head. Do you have to worry about your parents? You know, like, and I'm not saying that because 
I'm trying to make anyone feel guilty about like providing a stable upbringing for their child. I'm saying that because like get some perspective, get out of your rarefied air if you exist in that space. And, you know, even Kathy and I, I think, you know, we work, we tend to work disproportionately with a privileged community. Like we need to do that too regularly. And it, you know, it's part of my responsibility to be as a good college counselor, good educator to do that. And so I just want you to know that like those kids are out there and man, they are tough as nails and resilient and happy. Now, a lot of them are, a lot of them have been dealt really awful, awful circumstances and it's very sad, you know, but their ability to overcome. So I say that in part because when your child encounters like the most basic form of adversity, like they think their English teacher doesn't like them or they didn't get into the competitive summer camp that they wanted to get into or they got cut from a sports team, you all better let them figure that out. Yes. I told the parent the other day, I was like, you know what? Your kid could suffer a little bit more. (laughs) A little more suffering would be okay, actually. It would actually help him get out of his funk. Like, you don't need to do so much for him. A little They need the support, you know, but they got it. They need to figure out how to get themselves out of jams. Anyway. Anyways. I I was just thinking of some kids I've known along the way where I'm just like, you know, they're just so on point and they're so impressive. Yep. In every which way. I'm with you. I know those kids. And I've had some cynicism around that sometimes from families of like, well, why is my kid penalized? Because they've had like a nice life. It's like, okay, I don't, I think I don't have a lot of patience for that attitude. And if that is your attitude, like try to examine that. And if your kid comes across like that in the college admission process, how do you think that's going to land for an admission counselor, Kathy? Do you think that we like that or don't like that? I'm going to go with we don't like that and we can sniff it from a mile away. Farther than that. Further than that? Farther than that? I always get those messed up. <laughs> a long ways away. Yeah, you don't want your kid to show up in school like that, right? Even before they apply, like kids who expect, right, this idea that, you know, things should be this certain way for me. Mm. Well, and kids, I have more patience around that because kids are kids. There's learning. They're often not able to get out of their bubbles and environments unless their parents sort of help manufacture that. You know, they don't have the same kind of power and agency as adults. So that to me, when a kid shows up in that way, I'm like, this is a teachable moment, right? This is a moment of education. So adults who are listening, like, you know, and again, right, comes down to values. If that's the thing that matters to you, and if in fact, at the end of the day, you want your kids to grow into kind, compassionate, caring humans who you know, do a little good in the world, at least leave the world a little better than they found it, then values and seen. Do we do all the things? Do we think this is going to get published? I think so, because you know what? It's our podcasting. We can do what we want, and we did a great episode, I think. Okay. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to Kathy and I on our soapbox. (laughs) Yet again. Yet again. That's right. We appreciate it. And hopefully there were some kernels of wisdom, some nuggets, if you will, Mm -hmm. you can take away. Indeed. All right, friends. Until next time.